Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Well, my subject today is called the decontamination process. Decontamination. I'm not pronouncing that right. I'm an immigrant. This is <laughs> the United States is my adopted country. And I'm so, in spite of all our problems in America, let me tell you as an immigrant, this is the best country in the whole world. The best country. Best country. And I, did, I forgot to mention, are there any Vietnam veterans here? Vietnam veterans? Raise your hand, Vietnam veterans. Any Vietnam veterans? Welcome home, sir. Welcome home. Welcome home. In decontamination, it implies that something has been contaminated. Now, let me give you a picture of contamination. In, in the Mexican kitchen, there's a hearty stew called cocido. Anybody talk about cocido? It's beef stock and beef and, and bone broth and, and it has bone marrow and it has a, a, just a bunch of vegetables and corn. And then they serve it to you on a cold day. By the way, I pray, Lord, give me, give me good weather when I get to Aurora. I, I landed here yesterday. Woohoo! Thank you, Jesus. And today, oh, it's beautiful. Now, I leave tomorrow, and then you guys get stuck with all the snow again. But cocido is eaten in, in, when it's cold. And it's like, kind of like a ritual to prepare that stew. Because when you order it, it's steaming hot, and they give you a side order of Spanish rice. And then they give you all the, the voodoo stuff. They give you oregano. Uh, they give you lime, and they give you uh, onion and cilantro, and they give you pepper flakes, and you prepare it. And then they have tortillas, Lord willing, they're homemade tortillas. You roll them up. Oh, Lord, have mercy. You prepare it. It's an art. You get your lime, you squeeze it, and you taste it. No, it's not good. You put more lime, and then you get the oregano, you crush it, and then you put the onion, cilantro, and you're ready to go. You go, dear Jesus, bless my food in Jesus' name. And just about that moment, there is a bottle fly, not a butterfly, a bottle like a Coke bottle fly. You know what kind of fly is that? Those are the nasty ones. They have a metallic butt. They're green and blue, and they look like miniature helicopters. And they, you can hear And all of a sudden, it just dive into my cocido and decided to start swimming in despair all over my cocido. Now, back when I was a kid in Mexico, that fly would have just been scooped up before they charged me for extra meat. <laughs> so I will flick it. And that's it. But I knew that uh, it, it's good, but it was contaminated. In the same way, Psalm 51, that's the scripture that I want to take you to. Psalm 51. You see, contamination means uh, to make something impure or unsuitable by contact 
It's an admixture. It can happen in water, contaminated water, contaminated food. So decontamination means to remove unwanted chemical, radioactive, or biological impurity or toxins. Now, last week, there was a recall of 2 million pounds of chicken products from eight states, not New Mexico and Colorado and not, not even Texas, not even California, back east. But think about it. Two million pounds of poultry, and what was the contamination? Metal. Metal. And around two months ago in California, they recalled a bunch of fruit and vegetables frozen because they were contaminated with E. coli. And where did it come from? From your sister town in Aurora, Illinois. So contamination is pretty bad. David... First, let me explain to you, King David here is writing in a psalm. A psalm is like a poetical expression in music. Now, the Bible in the Old Testament is divided into three sections. You have historical, and then you have poetical, and then you have prophetical. Poetical starts in in songs of psalms, uh, psalms, songs of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, and Proverbs. So David is writing a, a, a poetry about, about his pain. The introduction to Psalm, to Psalm 51, we are told is that David wrote this when he got popped by Nathan the prophet. When he got popped, I mean, he got busted. When he got busted, that means that he was discovered. Something happened to David. Let me, let me refresh you what happened to David. David was loved by God. Amen? God chose David. He anointed David. He selected David. He commissioned David. He gave him the Holy Spirit. David was a man after God's own heart. He was a good man. But something happened to David. There was a lapse of judgment and he forced himself upon a, 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 a woman who does not belong to him. Her name is Bathsheba. He forced himself upon her. He had a sexual encounter with her. And she ended up being pregnant. And he didn't know what to do. So he thought that he would have her husband killed. So he was an accessory to murder. And she had a child. So, so it's a adultery and an accessory to murder. And he kept quiet about it. He thought, no one knows, I'm the king, I can get away with it. So he thought. And for a whole year, we believe that it's, everything's okay. But after a year, Nathan the prophet came and, and just gave him a picture of someone who was messing and being unfair. And David said, who is that man? We're going to get him. We'll slap him across his face. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> who is he? We'll get him right now. We jump and we'll slap the living daylight out of him. And Nathan says to him, you are that man. It is you. And this is the difference about King David. King David took over another king by the name of Saul. Saul was also messed up. But here's the problem with Saul, the problem with many people. When Saul was confronted with an issue, with a moral the deviance with something that was blighted in him, 
Saul will always blame someone else. He will shift the blame. He will not accept responsibility. It's someone else's responsibility. And it is today. I used to drink so much. I was on drugs so much. And I would tell people, well, this is the way I am. This is the way my community works. Everybody does it. I'm a victim of circumstances. I come from a single mom. I, my, left, my father deserted us and left us. And this is the way it is. And we blame it on our economic. We blame it on our social injustice. We blame it on the schools, on the teachers. We blame the police officers. But it's not us. It's never us. Saul was the same way. Always deflecting fault and accepting responsibility. When you look at 2 Samuel, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, when David was confronted with the issue, you know what David said? I have sinned against the Lord. He took it. He understood it. So he writes to us in Psalm 51 about what happened. It is called a penitent psalm. A penitent psalm, it comes from the word penitentiary. Penance. It means that you're, you're, having, you're having an understanding, an acknowledgement that what you did was wrong. So this is the penitent psalm. It goes along with Psalm 32, Psalm 38, and Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, he is asking for a cleansing. Before we read it, he's asking for, he says, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin and purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. He speaks about three elements of sin. Transgression, iniquities, and sin. The main factor is that he wants to be, he wants to be hygienitized, but not bodily. He wants a restoration. He understands that his moral fiber is compromised. His conscience is blunt and is blemished. His heart is broken because he has lied and he knows he's lying. He's feeling emotions that will bring anybody down. These emotions are toxic. What are they? Regret, sorrow, guilt, and shame. When you experience day in, day out, those elements of regret and sorrow, it brings psychological pain. When you experience psychological pain, you come up to the emotional pain. When you experience psychological, emotional pain, you're going to feel it in your body. It's called psychosomatic problems. Psycho, body. People can eat sometimes. They're so psyched up. People cannot sleep right. They're psyched up. Some people become, and I'm not in any humor way, some people are constipated for days. They have gut problems. They can't breathe properly. And they're always spooked. They look like they're on meth. They're never at peace. David was not at peace. 
Notice, if I may, that he's, he, he doesn't start by saying, Lord, help me. You see, David knew God intimately. I know God intimately. I was only 24 years old when I was introduced to Jesus. I understand what David felt. You see, my contamination, it began with my own conscience. Believe it or not, I was an innocent young boy at one time, courteous, believe in my mom and my father, and I was just a little boy, and I was a good boy. But all of us, somewhere along the line, your conscience is going to be introduced to something that's contrary to your moral fiber. For me, it was 11 years old. Don't tell anyone, she said. She's 19 years old. I'm 11 years old. I don't know how to process. I don't know how to properly digest what's going on. But she said, keep it a secret. Thus began the deterioration of my conscience. I begin to deal with this issue. And then I started doing other things that, that just crept on. And there, there, were, there were some more ex external stimuli. There was more external vileness and crookedness. So by the time I reached 18, I said, I need to get away from here. So I joined the Marine Corps and thinking, I'm going to be all right. And I was all right, but it got worse. I got out of the Marine Corps. My mind was just blown up. Guilt, shame, sorrow, confusion. And not being accepted by the American people as a Vietnam veteran, not couldn't get a job. And I'm an American citizen by choice. And I can't get a job because I'm a Vietnam veteran. It's very confusing. So I turn into business underground. And I started doing things that are unthinkable. And I knew they were all wrong. It wasn't like I didn't know it was wrong. You don't have to be a Christian to know that stealing, robbing, and transporting weed from one country to another country is not legal. You know that. And yet I knew that. So I was doing everything contrary to logic, to reason, to the law of conscience, to the law of God, which I didn't know then. But something was wrong. Being high on drugs every day, drinking out of the bottle, we're not talking about social drinking, celebratory drinking. We're not talking about that. We're talking weed and liquor to get stupid. Why? Because you want to squelch and you want to stop the noise that's coming from here and affects you here and your whole life is distorted. That is called cognitive dissonance. That's a fancy word, cognitive dissonance. What does that mean? It means that you know what's right, and yet you're doing exactly the opposite. In England, if you want to buy a pack of cigarettes, they don't mess around. Here, <laughs> the, 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 the tobacco industry, they still have a lot of pull over America. In the United Kingdom, when you buy a pack of cigarettes, it says on all sides of the box of cigarettes, smoking Kills with capital, where the font is this big. Kills. And yet people go, give me a pack. 
And he's there. It was, I know these things will kill me. I know. That's an example of cognitive dissonance. People know it's wrong, but they can't stop. They don't know how to stop. Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 7, he goes, I know what to do, but I don't know how to do it. And that which I don't want to do, that I practice. There's a dilemma of confusion. David had committed adultery, accessory to murder. He couldn't function. He said, I'm sick. And I know why I'm sick. Because I have not confessed to you my iniquity before you. We read verses 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So here we begin the cleaning process. David knew God intimately. You see, I was raised in a religion that was imposed upon me. I didn't choose that religion. It was biological, it was cultural, it was scholastic, it was social. And so I didn't choose that religion. I was part of my religion is to do certain rituals and ceremonies, which I did. And one of the ceremonies that is necessary in the religion of my birth, in the religion of many of my family members, was that we had to go to communion. But in order to have communion, we needed something else. What was it? Confession. Thank you. Thank you. Which meant that we had to go to a booth and talk to a homeboy who's probably worse than you are. I'm not, I don't laugh, but you know what I'm saying. And here's the conundrum. Here's the problem. Here's the rub. Here, here's the deficiency in that. Is that I'm speaking to another human being who does not know the Lord, not from hindsight. But here is the conundrum. It's called duress upon duress. In confession, I am supposed to re experience relief alleviation from the guilt. But imagine the compounding of guilt when I go behind and I'm lying to him. I tell him, I forgot everything else. Lie! I didn't forget. I don't want to blow his mind. I don't want to tantalize the poor old man behind. I don't want to tell him what I did. And so I lied. So he tells me, do 150 prayers repetitious. You know what I'm talking about. Women, absolutely nothing to me. So I go, okay, if I'm supposed to find relief, I feel guilty worse because now I lied to homeboy here. <laughs> so I stand in line with everybody else. I'm only 12 years old, 13 years old, 14 years old. And I stand there and... Idiot. Jerk. You're stupid. I know. Didn't work. Ah, I'll stop. Then two, three years later, I'll do this again and the same thing. By the time I'm 24 years old, I lost everything. Now when my wife, my girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, when she took me to church, 
The pastor, in essence, was talking about the book of Daniel. Daniel looked like the guy was high. Lions. He couldn't be, like, I was high. But it's the truth. It's a true story. But for me, that guy's tripping, man. The guy fell. The lions, they, they weren't hungry. He's a Christian lion. He didn't want to eat them. I don't understand. I have no clue. I am high on that day, May 17, 1975. I'm ingested. I'm full of of um, mescaline. Now, if you don't know what mescaline is, God bless you, don't worry about it. Mescaline out. My choice of drink was mescal, Southern Comforts, and rum, Bacardi 150. Not with Coke, not with soda, on the rocks. Oh, no, straight from the bottle. Being bilingual, I had two friends. They're enemies now, but they were my two best friends, Jose Cuervo and Johnny Walker. <laughs> Those were my friends when I was lonely. I would drink it straight to shut the noise. One Saturday night, I was so loaded. I got up. My ex-girlfriend said, would you like to go to a rock concert? Why not? Went. It was the church. And the pastor was speaking exactly about conscience. I don't understand the full message. But all I knew that I was sitting right exactly where my wife is sitting. I was sitting in the fourth row. And I felt like the pastor was just looking at me. And I said to myself, man, this guy's killing me softly. With his song, he's killing me softly. How does he know what I'm going through? My ex girlfriend said, I didn't tell him anything. Lie, you told him about me. <laughs> and then he said to the effect, your conscience is oozing guilt. What's going to stop it? Liquor. What's going to stop it? Wheat. Your loss. And something happened. When he says, would you like to receive Jesus, come forward. Out of 2,000 kids, I cut the tail end of the Jesus people. 2,000 kids, there were two surfer girls. Two surfer girls. <laughs> and one homeboy from East L.A. came up. Wow. There was no shaking. There was no lightning. There was nothing. A week later, that's when everything changed. Lord have mercy. Took away the shame. Took away the culpability factor. And check this out. Johnny, Johnny Walker, and Jose Cuervo, they were gone. I still had one major problem. Weed or marijuana. I said, no, marijuana, the Bible says in the book of Genesis, God created all green stuff. I justified the living daylight out of it. And Christians were telling me, you know, that your temple is the place of the Holy Body, your temple of the Holy Spirit, blah, blah, blah. I go, look, if God is God, God's going to do that, okay? So one, one day, I was so tired of having yellow teeth and, and burnt fingers and dealing with ugly people trying to get it. I was smoking one day and go, Jesus, if this is enough from you, take it away. The next day, ladies and gentlemen, the next day, no more. No more. No more. No more. 
Now, people, people can defend it. There are medicinal purposes for it, but not with the content to get you high. Don't get confused. The one to get you high, people say, no, it's good for you. Listen, why would God want you to have something out of, out of your, own, your own physiological ability? In other words, you need something else to make you happy, to make you joyful? I don't know. All I know is that Christ is sufficient. Christ is sufficient. So, who is God? He says, you're the God who has multitude of tender mercies. He says, blot out my transgression, wash me and cleanse me from my sin, my iniquity, and also from my transgression. Sin is basically missing the mark. We're all born into sin. David says that. Iniquity means mischief, gross injustice, lawlessness. Here's the big one. Transgression. What is transgression? Willful disobedience and defiance to pass beyond limits or going over a boundary. Let me give an example. This is a pulpit. Pastor Ed just painted it. And it says, fresh paint, do not touch. I read it. Do not touch. Don't tell me what to do. That's transgression. When you know in your heart that what you're about to do, it's wrong. And there are people who are not believers who do it willingly and they don't even know it's a transgression. They don't feel nothing. But David knew. Blood out. The word blood out means expunge. It's like a sponge. It's a legal word today. Expunge all my... My, my crimes, I can. You did all the crimes. You can't expunge them based on what? No, just because now I'm a Christian, I'm a good boy. No, no, no. He says, here's your record. I know, but I'm a Christian now. No, you, you still got a record. With Jesus Christ, the Bible says, though our sins like red and crimson, with Jesus Christ's blood, they should be white as snow. This is your crime sheet in God's eyes. Where's the crime? Jesus said, it's forgiven. It's forgotten. Your sorrow, I've taken it away. Your shame, I took it away. Your sorrow, your regret, I took it away. And what you do with it? I took it to the cross with me. For, so it won't longer haunt you. David, though, David did the second thing. What is the second thing that David did? He made the request. First, there were, he knows God. He acknowledged God. And here comes the most important thing, the acknowledgement or the admission. This is the crucible, if I may. You ever, hear, you ever know people who, they are very cocky and arrogant, they're lofty people? You know anybody like that? And when you let them know or her know, you're arrogant, you're cocky, you're proud. They look at you weird. I don't, I don't have pride. Just your mannerisms exude that you're cocky. No. You know, you could be wrong. You're right. There was a time when I thought I was wrong, but it was just a thought, the thought that I was wrong, so I wasn't wrong. They can't see themselves. 
They don't understand it. So you cannot admit to something that you have no acknowledgement at. Sometimes you have to see a tragedy. Or sometimes you have to have a situation where it's a kind of situation where we say things like, smell the coffee. It's a wake-up moment. This is a reality. Men who think they have women subjugated, and the woman is saying, he doesn't love me, he doesn't talk to me, and he takes it for granted, and all of a sudden, she decides, one day I had enough, and walks away. And the man says, come here, I want to talk to you. And the man says, you don't know me. Bye. No more. And all of a sudden, the man loses power over And then they come to church. Oh, pastor, pray for my marriage. Pray for marriage. I said, your marriage has been jacked up because of you for the last four years. What took now to you realize and acknowledge something went wrong? She left me. Ah. So she left you. And that was the only way you were able to acknowledge it, yet you were not able to acknowledge it for years when she was trying to talk to you. And you see, therein lies the problem. David said this in verse 3, For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Against you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. There you find confession. There you find the admission and the acknowledgement. What is confession? Confession. To tell or to make known as something wrong or damaging to oneself. An admission of guilt. It, it is volitional, meaning it's non-compulsive. You don't have to do that. But confession is volitional and is personal. Irenaeus He's a second century Christian father. He looked at the Christian's confession, and this is, this is what he said. Origen calls confession the vomit of the soul, whereby the conscience is erased of that burden which did lie upon it. Now when we have vomited up a confession, we must not return to this vomit. Now as an alcoholic, I did say alcoholic. I am an alcoholic, but please, don't, don't be talking trash. I'm not, I'm, I'm free from alcoholism, but I drank for so many years of my life, like my father, like my brother, like all my family, and they're dead. I was going in that direction. I was urinating blood from my drinking. Doctor said, you're not going to make it, son. You're only 22, 23. You're going to die. I didn't see any doctors. All I knew is I met Dr. Jesus, and I was no longer urinating blood. I don't know how that worked. And so I admitted my guilt, and, and I admitted who I am. I am. Every alcoholic understands that vomit though sounds nasty. For many alcoholics, vomit is a wonderful sensation. Why? Because you understand that when you're drunk and the room's spinning and you have blackouts, the best antidote is for you to purge out the impurities. So you, you, you put your middle finger and you tickle the back and you gag and you throw up. 
That's nasty as that sound. You walk away from it, and then you feel better. You get that chewing gum, go back to the party and drink some more. There's a word in, in, in the psychological field. It's called catharsis. Anybody has heard that word? Catharsis. I asked last night, and people didn't know what catharsis meant. Let me be honest. I go to church still to learn, man. Anybody that's not know what catharsis is, raise your hand. You do not know. Okay. Catharsis is the ability for you to purge out any feelings inside as you talk to somebody, the real feelings. And when you do that, the word catharsis in the Greek means to purge, purge. Catharsis is very important. Confession is very important. But confession is volitional. It's not mandated. It's not compulsory. David, no one told him that you have to do this. David said, this is the only way that I can find relief. I confess to you, my father, that I am a sinner. It only makes sense when Jesus said, he who confesses me before man, I will confess him before my father. But he who denies me, I will, he will be denied in the presence of my father and his angels. So there has to be an open confession. Confession is important. This is what James tells us in James chapter 5, 16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be Anybody know the last word? Say that word loud. Healed. Say one more time louder. Healed. Pray to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Healed from what? A blemished conscience. But Pontro, I'm a Christian. Christians fall. Christians make mistakes. Christians make idiocy, stupidity when you're in passion, when you're in anger. My wife and I, we, we adapted to a set of, of 12 words. And ever since then, it's been already, well, we've been together 47 years. We've been legally married 43. But I think in year eight or nine, we had it with each other. That's it. I, 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 that's it, man. The D word was never mentioned, divorce, no, no, but the D word for death, yeah. <laughs> but I came across a little booklet, and that little booklet was only four pages long. The font was really big. Twelve words to heal your marriage. I don't know who wrote it, so I'm taking credit for it, because I can't find them. It was the twelve words, twelve words that cannot be uttered by someone who has not acknowledged that he's full of pride. Pride will prohibit you from saying these words. Pride will destroy your marriage. Pride will destroy your company. Pride will destroy who you are. You destroy family because of your pride. You don't know how to say one of the three words. What are the 12 words? The first words, the first three is words is, uh, uh, I'm sorry. First three words. The next three, it's my fault. The next three, I was wrong. And the last three, I love you. You see, if you cannot utter the first three, you cannot utter it. Humility is void in your life. Paul the apostle, David, Peter, 
They all understood that. They say, the fact in verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and my sin is, forgive me, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and notice, and in sin and sin my mother conceived me. Behold, God, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the inner part you will make me know wisdom. Look at the repeated requests. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Very interesting. Purge me. There's the word purge me. Purge me basically means a cleansing. It could be a, a mental purge. It could be a psychological purge, a catharsis. It could just be a physical purge where you work too much and your body's overwhelmed and your body's telling you you need to recover your body in convalescing. You just need to mellow out. You need to have a refreshing, purging, purging. That's vomit. But he says, purge me with hyssop. That's an interesting word. Hyssop in Exodus chapter 12 was a little plant that was absorbable. And they were supposed to get a little plant that was like a sponge. And they were told to, to kill a little innocent lamb. And the blood from the lamb, they were to use the hyssop plant and they were to put it on the lintel posts of their doors. Why? Because there was an angel of death in Egypt that will pass over. And the angel of death, when he will pass over, if there was no blood on the lintel, the firstborn in this family will die. But if you were obedient... And you're obedient to God and you cleanse your house with blood of a lamb with the hyssop plant. The angel of death will look and look at the blood and he will bypass. Death will not touch this home. When you look at hyssop and the word combined, blood, it will take you straight to Hebrews chapter 9 and 10. And there we are told by the Hebrew author, that the blood of bulls and calves could not be able to do what only the blood of the Lamb Jesus Christ can do. And what is that? That the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse and hygienize your conscience. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. One of the first things we travel because my wife had brain cancer, and she's recovering now, but she's asthmatic. She wears the EpiPen, too. She has one. So the first thing we get is where is the hospital and where is the nearest drugstore? We have Walgreens around walking distance. I'm in. Imagine me going to Walgreens. Doctor, doctor, pharmacist. My conscience is jacked up, Torah. You have anything for my conscience, anything to clean it up? Is there such medicine for that? Yes or no? No. But I know where to squelch the problem in the liquor department. They'll take care of it for a little bit, but only will do me more damage. Only the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what David was speaking about. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be white as snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Meaning, he was only experiencing grief and sorrow and sadness and pain. 
He said that the bones you, God, have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. And create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me as he did Saul. God took the Holy Spirit from Saul. And David says, do not take the Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of what? Bloodshed, O God. That's accessory to murder. The God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing a lot of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I will give it to you, Lord. Lord, you do not delight in burnt offerings. But the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. What is a contrite heart? Contrite means repentant. The English word is compunction. Two Latin words. Compungere means when you feel cut to the heart. Peter was given a message, the first message there in the book of Acts. And he was speaking to 3,000 Jewish people. And when he was teaching and preaching the gospel, the Bible says that all the listeners, 3,000, they were cut to the heart. That man, they felt it. I am an alcoholic. I am a liar. I'm a cheater. I'm a conniver. I'm a cocky, arrogant man. It's not my marriage fault. It's my fault. See, when you own up to it, you may look weak, but in the eyes of God, he will bless you. And you'll find peace and liberty. He will give you emancipation. Let me close with this. I'm not going to ask you to come up. I'm not going to ask you to stand. All I'm asking you is to do this, just this. That's all. Just do this. You see, if you cannot do this, that's because your heart's not touched, and that's fine. But if you're here today, like you were me in a concert, <laughs> you don't know Jesus. You can find forgiveness of your sins. He can sponge you of your sins. He can wash you. He can save you. He can heal you. He will give you the spirit of the living God. He will give you the joy, the promises of life he gives you, and all your sins will be forgiven. It's free. It's up to you. So if you hear you would like to receive the Lord, you would like me to pray with you and for you, would you please just raise your hands? Say, Ponch, pray for me this morning. God bless you, sir. Anyone else? God bless you way in the back. Anybody else? Don't leave. God bless you, Mija. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody? God bless you, ma'am. Anybody else? God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. And God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. Anybody? God bless you, sir. Both of you. Are you both married? Oh, Lord Jesus, that's wonderful. Wow, what a wow, trip out. What a trip. What a trip. Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you, sir. Who else? Don't leave without Jesus, man. Don't leave without Jesus. Leave whole. Wholesome, clean. Anybody else? Anybody else? God bless you and God bless you. God bless you. For those of you who raise your hand, repeat the simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, please forgive me. 
I confess my sins and my iniquities and my transgression, and your precious blood may forgive me of all. Create a new heart in me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and make me to be who you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.